the 169th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. From the Basketball Podcast Network, this is the Four Corners Podcast. We win! 54 to 53! North Carolina did it! North Carolina wins the championship! With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Fred Brown looking, oh, way to worthy! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. They're out of timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. And the party is ready to begin on Franklin Street. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Pump fake for three, too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champions. Love guarded by Keels, gets a screen, pulls up for three. Got it, Caleb from straight away. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony will be back with your guys tonight. And we're going to take you a little bit behind the scenes really quick because this is our second time recording this edition of the podcast. As Zoom decided to uh, take a fart on us or fart on us and cut out as we were literally about... I mean, I'm going to say it. We were like 93% of the way through the pod. And we had some software malfunction go through. And now we're back for a second take. And, uh, you know, the only thing that stinks about this is it means this is now the second time we have to talk about a defeat in the same game. As Carolina did fall 103-101 in four overtimes to Alabama in the third-place game of the Phil Knight Invitational. It was the first four-overtime game that Carolina had played since they beat Tulane in 1976, 113-106 in the Superdome. And, you know, look, there was a lot of different things that went into Carolina getting beat. They blew another lead at the under-four uh, under timeout. This lead wasn't as large in the one as against Iowa State on Friday, but they still had the ball – they still had the lead – when they went into the four-minute offense and couldn't close the deal out, they had a good look in the first overtime that Caleb Love missed and several different plays that that definitely led to the ultimate demise of this ball game. But the, the one that's going to be talked about the most is the one that happened in that fourth and final overtime. Caleb Love on a, on a, on a driving attempt um, shot the ball. It gets blocked. It was called on the floor as a goaltend. And, you know, I didn't even know this. Um, undoubtedly, this rule got changed in, back in 2019 that if a goaltend is called inside of two minutes, it is a reviewable call. And they reviewed the call, and they overturned it, which was the correct call. It was not a goaltend. The problem was was that because they then have to rule while the play was blown dead as an inadvertent whistle – now the, the 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 possession of the ball gets determined by the possession arrow that gave the ball to Alabama, who at the time had a one-point lead. And 
Carolina would then have to, you know, go for the steal on the ensuing inbound or foul, and they actually forced a turnover. Uh, Seth Trimble made a very tough athletic play through the ball, and it went off of Alabama. So now Carolina's got the ball underneath their own basket, less than eight seconds to try to win the ball game, and Pete Nance throws it to nobody. It just throws the ball up in the middle of the lane. There's nobody there. Alabama would make one of two free throws. R.J. Davis would miss a, a an attempt at the buzzer where he was more or less trying to draw a foul than make the shot. And lo and behold, Carolina has now lost back-to-back games. And, buddy, this was this was a big game for Carolina for a lot of different ways because you look up the upcoming schedule, not easy. You got to go to Indiana on Wednesday night. You got to go to Virginia Tech on Sunday to play an ACC game. Both very winnable games for Carolina, but also both very losable games for the Heels as well. Um, so Carolina could be staring down a four-game losing streak here. And, you know, I, I think I think the thing is, is that, dude, this team, this team competed as hard as they've competed in a regular season game under Hubert Davis for sure and, and, and in quite some time. This team was tired. This team was beat up physically uh, because this was a very physical game, and they hung in there and they fought. But we're not here for moral victories. Um, There are some programs like NC State that believe in such a thing. We don't. We're here to win basketball games and do so at a high level, and that didn't happen today. And a team that already had some questions about itself leaves Portland with more questions than I think answers. And I don't think that was the expectation upon going to playing in this tournament at the start of uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. It certainly was not. I mean, I think the thought from a lot of people was, hey, we got to go out here and win two or three uh, at the least. You would have liked to walk away with a title, but instead Carolina's coming back from there one and two. And as you mentioned, it's two in a row now heading on the road to a place that you have historically struggled and, you know, a place in, in Castle Coliseum where you've, you know, come out victorious quite a few times, but it's going to be a tough environment. And over the last few years, Virginia Tech has found a way to win a couple of games against you. So Carolina, look, th- this is, th- there is no doubt that Carolina fans have the right to feel a little disappointed with what happened. At the same time, yes, you have to acknowledge the fact that it was not an effort issue overall out in Portland. I thought for the most part, Carolina played with a lot of effort. I think the issue right now is that we thought this team, I don't know if we thought this was the most talented team in the country, but I think we thought we we, we thought this was a team that did have a lot of talent on it. And when you combine that with the experience, that was what made this the best team in the country heading into this season. Well, right now, this isn't the best team in the country. And, you know, look, that's okay. You don't want this to be when Carolina is playing their best basketball. No doubt about that. But at the same time, you want a team to be able to execute when it matters the most. And I thought through the first five games of the season, Carolina did a great job, even in, you know, and and look, you know, it wasn't against the greatest opposition, but, I mean, the College of Charleston, they went and won the Shriners Classic and did so pretty convincingly. They beat that Virginia Tech team that you're going to play, that you're going to play 
over the weekend. So there, look, there were some better wins than I think you probably realized on there early in the season. And that was because Carolina found a way to make the winning plays when they had to. Well, the last two games, that has not happened. Both times that Carolina has needed to make winning plays, and today especially, they had multiple chances to make winning plays over the span of the end of regulation and all of the overtimes. And Carolina did not come away with a victory. This is the one that I think hurts more than even the other night. The other night, you had a guy that would ju- that that just went off, got hot from behind the arc, and it was a team that we knew was going to give you some issues on the defensive end of the on on the offensive end of the floor because of how good they were defensively. Okay, it, it seems like you kind of have one of those games just about every year. This one was there for the taking multiple times, and Carolina walks out with a tough loss that now you got to wonder what this does for the mentality of this team. If you would have just gotten beat, that's one thing. But to get beat in four overtimes and now have to turn around and travel on the road midweek to an Indiana team that you talk about teams that are playing really well at the start of the year, there aren't a lot of them throughout the country, especially that are ranked highly at this point. That is one team that is playing about as well as you could ask for. And now Carolina has to go on the road and play them following this defeat. So this one hurts, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Carolina should be confident in the sense of they took a they took a team's best blow for the third straight game, and they were right there. Um, you got the best that Portland had to offer, and you beat them. This Portland team blew out Villanova. And they lost today to Michigan State by a point. That that Portland team is going to cause problems in an improved West Coast Conference. You got beat by an Iowa State team who had a kid have a career night, and yet you were still there with a minute to play, with the the game still in balance. And then tonight, you you took a blow from a team that is going to be a factor in a very good SEC. That's got Kentucky, Tennessee, this Alabama team, and Arkansas. All and Auburn, all the teams that have legitimate Final Four aspirations. But on the flip side, when you've got the 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 sheer experience this Carolina team has, you expect to win these types of games. Um, that that's what happens when you have a super senior in your starting lineup. You know, uh, two other seniors along with two juniors that are that have started virtually every game they've played at Carolina. And right now they're not executing to that tune. And that's got to be something that Hubert Davis has got to figure out is what, what's what's causing the lack of execution late in ball games. Let's take a look at the box score brought to you by DraftKings. And it's one that if you look at it, Carolina wins the ball game. They outshot Alabama 42% to 41. Uh, the one stat that really swings at Bama's way was a three-point shooting. Bama was 16 of 38 for 42%. Carolina just 7 of 23 for 30%. So the three-point shooting is still a problem. The Heels were 18 of 20 from the foul line. Uh, The Crimson Tide were just 13 of 21. Carolina did commit 18 turnovers, and Alabama scored scored 20 points off of those. Meanwhile, Alabama did commit 22 turnovers, and, and Carolina just got 13 points. 
off of those turnovers. Bama did win the rebounding margin, 58-54. to 54. Both teams with 37 rebounds on the defensive end. Alabama 21-17 on the offensive end. Second chance points, 18-15 to 15 Carolina. Bench points, 47-14 to 14 in favor of Alabama. Points in the paint went Carolina's way, 54 to 40. They also won fast break points, 24 to 15. Blocks, 10 to 6. Steals, 12 to 6. Bama did out assist Carolina, 21 to 15. Um, there were 15 lead, or there was 15 times the game were tied, 14 lead changes. Carolina led for 21 minutes, and Alabama led for just a little over. 27 minutes. Let's transition now to Hubert Davis and the quote of the game. And, you know, I, I think the, the thing that I've I've come away despite losing back-to-back games is Hubert Davis is handling that situation this well. This was something that I was very concerned about because we we haven't seen Hubert Davis in this type of role before where so much is being – it, where so much is being expected of him and every, and so much is being expected of his team. And right now, through seven games, it's fair to say that his team has underwhelmed. This isn't the best team in the country. It's fair to say that, that right now this team's a, a little bit overrated. And there's nothing wrong with that. It happens all the time in college basketball, but – Carolina's got to find a way to kind of fight through this 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 swoon that I don't think we thought was going to happen in November. We knew there was going to be a portion in time where Carolina didn't play very well. Um, that's been the whole start of the season outside of, you know, the, the game against James Madison, the second half against the College of Charleston, and maybe the Portland game where you put together your most complete offensive performance. And Heber Davis was asked um, at the end of the game, uh, or, or you know, his thoughts on the loss. And he said, quote, at the end of the day, Alabama made one more play than we did. And, you know, I walked in the locker room and a number of guys had their head down and I told them to pick their head up. I said, I'm just as disappointed in terms of the final outcome, but I can't be more proud of the way that they competed. And I think that's my – it's not my biggest takeaway. It's one of my takeaways from this was that had Carolina came in here and just lollygagged around and – you know, held held their hands together and sang kumbaya and got their butts beat, be a lot more animatedly ticked off at, at, at what happened on the court. That's not what happened. I, I, I thought Carolina competed and competed very well. They just didn't make the one or two plays that we expect them to make. And, you know, so I, I think in a weird way, um, you know, you, you said kind of leading up to it that this team, it felt like this team needed a loss. Um, well, now they've got two of them. This feels like a game that you can build off on so many little things, but there's still some things in the big picture that this team needs to improve in a lot of different ways. But I do feel like Huber Davis is very mindful of his team's mindset to where it might be a little bit fragile and it's probably a good thing he's got a Hall of Fame head coach who won three national championships who was in this same position as an assistant coach here and as a head coach here that, you know, Roy Williams always said upon Hubert retiring, hey, you can lean on me for advice. 
it feels like this may be a time more so even than last year when things were going kind of wrong in January where Hubert Davis taps on old Roy's door and ask him to help him figure out a thing or two so this Tar Heel basketball team gets by, gets back on the right track. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if that happens. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if it doesn't happen because, you know, part of this is he, he is going to have to learn himself. He did last year, and it worked out pretty well for him. But this is the thing that people have to realize about Hubert Davis. Guys, he's a second-year head coach. He hasn't – I mean, he, he has been through one – full season on the sidelines and to a certain extent the worst thing that could have happened for him in terms of his growth overall as a coach was him going to the national championship game because it feels like people have sort of forgotten that this is a guy that's still kind of learning what it is like to be a head coach this is a much different mindset around this team than there was at any point last year, especially early in the season a year ago. Early in the season last year, this was a team that was rebuilding. This was a group that needed confidence because they didn't have any. And remember, they didn't really get that confidence until they beat Duke in the final game of the regular season. That was when this team became a confident one. So, look, the the – the goal for this team has to be to find confidence before then. And we thought with the mindset that they had in the offseason that they were going to come out a confident bunch. They have not. So Hubert Davis is now tasked with trying to adjust what he is doing with a team that is not living up to what we thought they were going to be. Last year, you couldn't you, you didn't know what this team was going to be. So you couldn't say, well, they're not doing what we expected them to do. We had no idea what to expect. This year, there was a clear goal that was out there. And right now, they're not looking like they're handling the goals that they put upon themselves well. So yes, it's it's going to take time to adjust. If he leans on Roy Williams, if he asks for some help, then that's great. It would make sense. Roy's been here before. Remember that Roy is not only going to be able to pull from his experiences at Carolina, but he's going to be able to pull from his experiences at Kansas. And, you know, the, but the other thing is that, look, I think Hubert's got to just sit down, and if he talks to Roy, then then that's great. But he also has to think, you know, look, what would Dean Smith do in these situations? He knows Dean Smith as well as just about anybody because he played for him. What would Bill Guthridge do in this situation? He told us about how he wanted to pull from all these different generations of Carolina basketball. He's got guys on the staff that were there during all of those different generations as well. So lean on those guys. And, and, and may you know, I think the biggest thing is, is, He's got to get these players, their mindset in the right spot. I thought again today, something that was brought up by you last year as well. I think I brought it up as you know at a point last year. These It just doesn't look like a team that's having fun right now. And I mean, look, I know there were moments during this game where it looked like the bench was energized. That's probably the most energy that we've seen all season long. But 
even Earl, you know, when when they were showing the guy the, the team before warmups, it just it looked like a team that was I mean, everybody was just quiet, nobody's speaking. That wasn't what we saw last year in the NCAA tournament, even in the ACC tournament. We saw a team that was confident about themselves. They're not confident right now. And I think that's the biggest thing that Hubert Davis has to solve. I think the offensive end of the floor, the execution um, there, especially late in games, you have to find a way to be better. But I think the biggest thing right now is how does he get them in a in a state of mind where they take the pressure off of themselves and just play basketball? Make it easy on yourselves. Because right now it is a team that looks like they have, still have the pressure of being the number one team in the country, of you know trying to put together Redemption Tour Part 2 and end it the way that we want it to. And it it's it's clearly weighing down on this team. We thought, I said, would the loss to Iowa State sort of take some of that pressure off? This team showed today that's not the case. And right now, that's the main thing Hubert's got to work on. Yeah, I mean, the simple way to to kind of get this team to 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 loosen up and play more free is to remind them of what their goals are. And look. The the goal here this year, and as it is most years, is to win a national championship. And, you know, it's not that we don't want to not win every game because we want to win every game. That's the expectation. But was the season goal to win, to win the field night invitational? No. Was the season goal to beat Iowa State and Alabama? That answer is still no. That was the immediate goal at the time. And so I think that's that's what he's got to do is tell them, well, as disappointing as these two defeats are, um, we can learn from them and help us achieve the actual goals. And the actual goals are to win an ACC regular season championship, to compete for an ACC tournament title, and to make the Final Four and win the national championship. Um, I, I don't think this this team was naive to think that it was going to be easy. Look at their first two years together. The, their first two years together, they played in a pandemic filled season, and then last year they played for under a first time head coach, and they were trying to figure everybody out with the transfer who looked like a yeti out there, and it, it all came together, and it was this beautiful thing in March, but it took some time. I don't want to wait till March for this thing to all come together because it's a dangerous game, hoping that you can flip the switch when the calendar turns. But I think this team is kind of, they, they kind of have that kind of confidence in them that we did it last year. We can do it again. And they're having to learn the hard way. It's not that easy. And they're playing with fire and they need to just learn to attack every day individually while playing for the long haul. Let's take a look at the stat of the game. Pretty simple guys. Three-point field goals, uh, Carolina just 7 of 23 for 30%, um, and Alabama was 16 of 38 for 42%. And that's where we're going to lead off our takeaways. But before that, we're going to take a quick break. We got this week's ad from DraftKings, and when we come back, more thoughts and takeaways from Carolina's heartbreaking, controversial 103-101 defeat to Alabama in the Phil Knight Invitational. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, 
Available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. The NBA season is heating up, and there are still so many games coming up. Like if you're a local fan of the Charlotte Hornets, the 76ers are in town. The Minnesota Timberwolves are in town. Or if you're a Knicks fan like me, there's a lot of games coming up as we get ready or as we continue to make our way through the NBA season where you can make plenty bets on the association. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money lines on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out, guys. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings. Go, go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more the more you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win. So whether you're betting on just a straight up win, or how many you know threes Steph Curry is going to have, or how many rebound rebounds Joel Embiid is going to have, you can place all those bets and parlays at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Place a five dollar pregame money line bet on any on on any NBA team to win their game and get a one hundred and fifty dollars in free. Free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. Really hope you guys have taken great advantage of the last great offers I've been giving you on the Four Corners podcast. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Let's pick right back up where we left off talking about this three-point defense. And today it was a little bit different than what was the problem the first two games against Portland, it was the the way they screened Carolina with the pin downs underneath the under, underneath the foul line, freeing shoot uh, open shooters, and then using the elevator screens at the free throw line to to get their guys open at the top of the key against Iowa State. It was a combination of the screening action and the fact that you ran into a kid who just couldn't miss, and that usually happens against Carolina, and that's what happened yesterday. Today, I thought it was more of an effort thing where I just didn't think Carolina's awareness was where it was supposed to be. And if you remember back in the preview edition, I hammered that that the Carolina's got to be attentive. This is a team that shoots that made 9.7 per game and took over 28 per game. They weren't afraid to let it fly. That's the way Nate Oates' squad wants to play. And then today, Mark Sears picked up while Brandon Miller had an off night. Mark Sears will score 24 points, made eight field goals, seven of them were threes. They made 16 overall in the game. They had one, two, three. They had five different guys making three-point baskets. So it was a spread-out three-point attack. They had balanced three-point scoring, something Carolina desperately needs, uh, needs and wishes that they had right now. And I think this is something that, the biggest issue was I thought Carolina didn't guard the ball very well. And I wrote this in the preview article, and I had a, a guy on on Facebook comment and say that the way you defend the ball doesn't have anything to do with what the, the, the with three-point offense. Well, if you watch the game today, I think it would tell you why I'm right and you're wrong. Because Carolina couldn't guard the ball. Outside of blitzing on a pick and roll and, and sending a double team, they couldn't stay in front of it. 
And what happened was that that caused our wing defenders to collapse. And all of a sudden, Alabama's guards that are really, really good, like Mark Sears, like John Quinterly, are kicking out to open three-point bucket or three-point shooters, and they're and they made them. And I think that's something that Hubert Davis has got to adjust. In this era of basketball, I don't think you can go under screens, and I don't think you can help on drives. Shooting is too good across the top all the way, no matter what level of basketball you're playing. Steph Curry has born a generation of shooters that they can shoot it from wherever they are on the court and do so at an efficient rate. And um, Carolina entered this tournament allowing 29% shooting from behind the foul line, and they allowed all three of their opponents to shoot 38% or better, and it's a big reason why they're walking out of this event one and two. Yeah, and it it goes back to it looks a lot like what we saw last year, and it was right around this time, too, where Carolina could not contain the dribble drive, and that everything broke down from there. And that's what we saw in the last two games of this tournament, especially. A little bit against Portland, but especially in these final two games, you saw that that was the game plan. Drive it to the basket, and look, either Carolina is going to get help and you kick it, or you're just going to drive straight to the basket and lay it in. And we saw that for the majority of this game. I thought the weirdest thing, I thought in overtime, they were much better than they had been in regulation. But it still didn't matter because then at that point, you couldn't execute on the offensive end. But that's been one of the biggest issues that Carolina has had when they have struggled defensively over the last now two seasons is that when you can't stop the ball, you just, you open everything up. And and here's the other thing. It's guys just simply cannot recover quick enough because it's not, well, you're kicking it to a guy and he's moving the ball an extra pass that opens a guy up. No, it is. They are driving kicking dude is open enough to knock down a shot because you are helping way too much but really it's as simple as just don't let the guy drive by you that easily and that was something that we thought was going to be better this year from from this team we thought that Caleb Love RJ Davis would be able to stay in front of guys but it's also I mean it's just everybody when guys get switched on it they they there's just they cannot stop the ball, but it, it it's and it's they have to get it fixed, and they need to do it immediately because there are going to be good three point shooting teams that you see the rest of the way. There was one good three point shooting team so far this year that you completely shut down. That was James Madison. The question with them though is were they really that good of a three point shooting team? Or had they just played that week of a schedule? Because you faced, this weekend, you faced three really good three-point shooting teams in a row. And you had moments where you simply could not stop them from beyond the arc, no matter what you did. Maybe Carolina just ran into three really good three-point shooting teams that all got hot on the same weekend. It's possible, but it's pretty clear to us that they, they didn't do a good enough job at being able to slow that down. 
And they they have to get that figured out because you're going to face teams that are going to shoot the ball extremely well. And here's the thing that's frustrating about it today. You knew this was their game plan coming in. This is what Alabama had done the entire season. This is how they won games because of how much they shot the ball from beyond the arc. Back-to-back opponents, that was their game plan coming in. And there were times where it just seemed like you did not, you were not prepared to be able to handle that. Another area where Carolina's got to improve, and it, it really came to light yesterday and today, is their shot selection in their four-minute offense. And then today it was just extended into four overtime sessions because this is a problem. Um, I, I think the first couple games we thought it was great execution. And I think it was more about our guys being tough enough to make shots. And look, that's a part of it. You got to be tough enough to make shots. And the one Caleb Love had at the end of the first overtime, you would like him to be tough enough to make it. But you'd also like to be more technical sound and, and kind of work some things. Everything that Carolina did from the under four minute time out of the second half through overtime, I mean, it it was like it was like nails on a chalkboard. It wasn't it wasn't easy. And, um, you know, I, I saw you retweet a tweet that Brian Ralph put up, and it was pretty much him saying that Carolina is as banned in its pick-and-roll offense, and they're playing isolation basketball. And he's not wrong. That's what happened. Um, but I also felt like Hubert Davis went to that idea because he couldn't trust his big men to to be effective in the, in, in the pick-and-roll game because you know, Armando Baycott, and Pete Nance, they're whenever if 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 they're they're screening and they're not rolling to the basket, and they're just screening and kind of stepping behind to then be utilized as a passer, they're passing. They're they're not confident in that. With Armando Baycott, he's not right now. He's just not tough enough to go to the rim, and 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 finish. Um, Pete Nance has no confidence to go towards the rim. He wants to stand around and shoot mid range jump shots miss them and lollygag back on defense. And so Hubert Davis felt like his best offensive attack was to put the ball in the hands of Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. Well, you know, we kind of thought entering the year, not a bad game plan. But then Caleb Love shot 36 times in this ball game. It's the most shots since Lenny Rosenblum shot 43 in an ACC tournament game in 1957 where Carolina had to win to go compete for an NCAA cha- uh, tournament championship. And I'm not breaking news here, guys, but Lenny Rosenblum's a better player than Caleb Love will ever think of being. So you, Frank McGuire had no problem with giving him the ball because that was the offense. Our offense shouldn't be Caleb Love shoot the ball 36 times. Our offense shouldn't be him and R.J. Davis combined to shoot the ball 60 times. They combined for 60 of Carolina's 91 shot attempts tonight. 60. That's too high. And... I think that's where you really miss Brady Manick is you had a known fourth score because, mm-hmm. you know, Puff Johnson did a lot of good things today for Carolina and he even scored 10 points, but he got his offense off offensive rebounds and, and cuts to the basket. Yeah, not yeah. when something's in the half court, he's got to make a play. That's not who he is. It's not fair to ask him to be something that he's not. But this this is something that because Carolina doesn't want to live in the open court, the this team refuses to push the ball no matter the no matter the situation. They want to play in the half court. 
if you're going to do that, you've got to improve your shot selection because that's the biggest reason why you shot 42% from the field and 30% from behind the three-point line. Well, the the maddening thing is, is you talked about the fact that Caleb and RJ combined to take 60 shots in this game of the 91 that the team took overall. And it was just that there was a point, especially once they got inside of four minutes in regulation, where it seemed like that was just, that was just the game plan. And I, look, I get it. I get that Armando hasn't been great. I, I think the thing is, is he just hasn't been strong enough with the ball to run pick and roll. There, mm-hmm. he, he, I mean, he came into this game having back-to-back games with four or more turnovers. So that uh, it, it makes sense. But at the same time, especially once you got into that third and fourth overtime session, you should know, and, and part of it is the guys on the floor, but you should definitely know that, look, it is not working. We Right now, we are trying to play basically one-on-one basketball. You bring it up the court. I mean, there were times where, uh, uh, where it was one guy that touched it the entire possession. And that's, I, I mean, and they did it over and over again. It wasn't just in inside of the last minute. It was over and over again. That was the same offensive game plan every time they came down the floor. There wasn't much. There never has been much that I've agreed with from Bill Walton. Bill Walton, once again today, proved he is one of the dumbest human beings on planet Earth. That dude, every time that I listen to him, I, I, I just, I think I lose brain cells. My God. But the man knows basketball, and he said something that I thought was was very evident. They need to get other guys to touch the ball. They need to it, it you cannot have multiple possessions in a row where you come down the floor and the same guy is touching the ball, is holding the ball the entire time that he is in the half court. That just is not gonna work. At any level of basketball, it's never worked. And they kept doing it over and over again. And look, if it's that Caleb Love kept doing it, take him out of the game. Put somebody else in there. Let RJ run the point. Because it just, it, that, it, it was, it, it was like, it's just a frustrating cycle. You were watching somebody attempt to lose the game over and over again. And I just, they've, they've got to get it figured out. And yes, I think somebody else has to emerge. Somebody else on the perimeter has to emerge. And I, I'll give, I will, I will say this. I give Leaky Black credit. He is attempting to be that fourth guy that can score the ball. He's attempting to be that guy that can help them from the outside. And I think he's taken a step offensively, but he is not there yet. And right now, you just the your two guards are not efficient enough to sit there and be your entire offense like they were late in regulation and in overtime. And it's just it's 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 got to change. Yeah, and I think um, I think it's something where they've got because of how long today's game is. Now they're not leaving for Indiana until Monday from Portland. Um, I think that's something that this staff's really got to look at the film and try to figure out. Okay, how do we fix this? Because right now, 
we're not playing offense the way that we're built to play offense, and we're not playing offense the way that our talent level should say that we should play offense. Another takeaway from today's game is I think the defensive rebounding is officially like it's 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 an issue. It's a problem. Um and look, 21 rebound offensive rebounds over 60 minutes, like in theory, it's still a lot, but given offensive rebounds per possession, it's not as high as it has been in other games. Um, but 21's a, a large number. That's five more than what Alabama averages. And I I I think what I'm most dumbfounded by is this team told us that's what cost us a national title. Um, we gave up an offensive rebound to Daniel McCormack. He makes a play. We go on and we lose a national championship or David McCormack. And, you know, I, I think it's something that, and, you know, Huber Davis said it after I think the second game that there just lacks, there's, there's a lack of intensity and hunger and desire in that part of the game. He doesn't understand why. And I think that's where I'm at is I don't quite understand why that is. Because if if I knew there was something that was preventing me from being the best podcast host or whatever, and I had looked myself in the mirror for five months, I would like to think that I would come back and be better for it. Right now, Carolina is not better because of it. I don't know if it's a mental block where they can't get over the fact they didn't get that one box out. Um, but there were just too many times today where – Carolina simply allowed, you know, the shot would go up and Carolina just stood there. They weren't getting their hands on 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 bodies. They weren't fighting for position. They just stood there and Alabama just simply went and got the ball. And that's a really frustrating thing to look at. When you look at the numbers, Baycott 10, Nance had seven, so one of his better rebounding games of the year. Davis nine, Love nine, Black eight. Like their numbers look really, really good but those are inflated numbers because you played four overtimes. And I think it's just something that Hubert Davis and his staff, it's almost like you got to get back to the basics and and start breaking, getting back to who we are as North Carolina basketball. Um, because the most important part of the game outside of putting the ball in the basket is to rebound it. That's the only way you get a chance to put the ball in the basket is, is, is if you win that category and, you know, 58 to 54 isn't as bad as it could have been as maybe we thought it was going to be given the uh, rebounding prowess that Alabama does possess. But this defensive rebounding, you know, it was leaky to to, to start the season. And almost now a month in, it, it hasn't been shorn up the way I think we thought it was going to be given Carolina's ability to dominate the glass. Yeah, and – I mean, look, it's 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 just the timeliness of the struggles rebounding wise. It it's the second half of these games. And it was the that was the case again today. The first half, you did a pretty good job. And look, the stats would tell you differently. The stats would tell you, well, Carolina, Carolina was was rebounding the ball pretty well, but you allowed nine offensive rebounds in the second half of this game. You had 13 defensive rebounds in the second half of this game. It just it you it cannot happen and it it is noticeable from the minute that they take the court for the second half that 
something just changes. The first few shots that go up, they are almost always followed by offensive rebounds. And it again, I get it. Look, this team, you could see why they were the number one rebounding team in the country. But at the same time, their second leading rebounder, he missed almost this entire game. Noah Clowney played three minutes. So they were without their second leading rebounder, and they still out-rebounded you. A guy who really hadn't done much all season long for them off the bench was solid but not great. He was averaging six rebounds coming in. Charlie Bediaco, he had 16 rebounds in this game. He looked like a guy that had been dominating opponents all season long against a guy in Armando Baycott who, you know, we thought this is a guy that when he's at his best, nobody's better than in college basketball. Well, he's not at his best. He's been at his best for one game this season when it's come to rebounding. So, I mean, you look at his numbers today, I mean, 10 rebounds, like you said, Part of it's that it's inflated. Now, he didn't play a lot in overtime, but there's a reason why he didn't play a lot in overtime. One was because he was in foul trouble. But two, if you look at his 10 rebounds, six of them were on the offensive end of the floor. He only had four defensive rebounds. And that is the area where you had to limit this team from getting second-chance opportunities. And I get it. They didn't convert him into a ton of second chance points. But at the same time, you keep letting up these uh, these second chance opportunities over and over again. And it, it always feels like it's in the second half. I thought the first half, they did a really good job on the defensive glass. But that disappeared in the second half, which is ultimately when it matters the most. So yeah, they got to get it figured out. And... I I think you said it when we were previewing this game, or maybe it was before. We've done so many podcasts this week, I can't even remember. But it's got to just be a team effort because there's not that other clear guy that is going to be your second best rebounder. If you start Puff Johnson, maybe that's your guy. I don't know. But right now... I couldn't, I mean, there's no, nobody that sticks out where you say, yeah, that has to be your second leading rebounder and give, and give them credit. I think the guards have, have rebounded a lot better, but the biggest, the most important thing that has to happen right now for Carolina is Armando Baycott has to wake the hell up when it comes to rebounding. I mean, you would love for him to bring the production for you on the offensive end too, because as we mentioned, it's really hurt this team that they are having to rely so much on the guards. But more than anything, he has to be there on the defensive glass because you saw in the game against James Madison what the difference is when you have a team that is just gobbling up every defensive rebound that is out there. It it, it hasn't happened Again, last two games, you've seen those issues pop up again, but especially today, and that's a big reason why you ultimately ended up losing.
Speaking of Armando Baycott, Ross Martin from Inside Carolina did put a tweet out that Baycott said in the post game he was experiencing sharp pains in his right ankle. Um, he hobbled out of the press conference, and it is fair to say, as of recording, um, his status for Wednesday's game at Indiana is going to be in doubt, which leads us to the the one discussion I want to have really quickly. Because I think Carolina found its starting five moving forward. And I think you saw it by the way that Hubert Davis played the minutes. I don't think foul trouble impacted it the way that it was going to go this way anyway. We waited for Puff Johnson to return because we thought it was going to make Carolina deeper. Give somebody off the bench we can know that can come in and contribute. I think I've seen enough from him in Portland, um, and especially today. Puff Johnson needs to start. And I don't know if that was something – and I don't know if Hubert Davis has talked about it. He never talked about it in the preseason. And he was pretty mum on it last year when he made the switch as well to insert Brady Manick into the starting lineup. I don't know if this was – maybe this is what was the plan would end up being all along. Don't know. He scored 10 points on four or five from the field, grabbed five rebounds, handed out two assists, and made every hustle play in the world he had to make to give his team a chance. He does so many things for Carolina, almost like Leaky Black, and maybe that's the hardest reason why he can't start because now you're maybe playing with three known offensive players outside of four. But there is just something about when Puff's on the floor, this team looks different. And you saw it last year in the national title game where in that second half, I mean, he was Carolina's heart and soul. The only reason why Kansas didn't run them out of the building in that second half was because of Puff Johnson. Um, before he was literally puking his guts out, I, I, I firmly believe Carolina was going to win the national championship. And, you know, Hubert Davis, you know, went to that lineup of Love, Davis, Black, Johnson and it was Baycott for the majority of regulation and most of overtime until he just kind of flip flop between him and Pete Nance. But it feels like this team needs a spark. They need they need something to kind of get them going. And I think Puff Johnson just might be that guy. What where do you where do you come in on on this situation with Puff? Because I think this is going to be a polarizing topic. Because some people like him coming off the bench. I think if he, you know, if he starts over Pete Nance, and who knows what it does to Pete Nance's confidence, but it might be what's best for Pete at the moment. But also, it could it could even limit Carolina's bench even more, and that's something that we really can't afford either. Are you following with me as him being a starter, or do you still think Puff right now needs to be a role player? coming off the bench for Hubert Davis. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I don't really think either way it, it's a major effect on the bench unit. Like, I don't think if you put Pete Nance there, that makes the bench less effective. Because, look, I, I, I get what you're saying, but you also said a little while ago something that is very true. Puff Johnson, not a guy that they're running offense for. I don't think Pete Nance really is either. I mean, we've seen it at times this year they do. But they want to avoid that if they can. Um, so I, I don't think I, I wouldn't be too worried about it from that standpoint. Um, mental mentality wise, yes, that's that's definitely something that you have to wonder 
what that would do to him. Um, but I, I, I think, look, ultimately, if you feel like that's the right move, you just have to go ahead and make it. Um, and I think, I, I think they probably should. Um, now I will say this. I don't think that that means that Pete Nance is going to have a severely reduced role because it, I'm going to tell you, if Armando Baycock keeps playing the way that he's playing, there are going to be times where you have to have Pete Nance in there because Pete Nance is a better defender than Armando Baycott is. They, I mean, that, that is just – that. those are the facts at this point because we saw it again tonight. And granted, there is an injury that appears to be there, but it, it, he's a guy that, you know, late in that second half – in that overtime, he looked like a guy that was not wanting to foul. And Pete Nance was playing with four fouls and was still aggressive. So I, I I think right now you should probably make that move to Puff. Um, the reason why this team looks so different when he's on the floor is plain and simple. That dude plays hard for 40 minutes no matter what. Um, you saw it when he dived on multiple loose balls in overtime. Did it multiple times. And Hubert Davis, early in the season, after that Gardner-Webb game, said, I cannot think of an occurrence where a guy has dived on the floor for a loose ball, where you know somebody has, has, has found a way to get a tough defensive rebound. We saw Puff Johnson do that multiple times tonight. So I, I think he's a guy that's playing with a ton of effort. He's given you about the same production at times that some of the that that a guy like Pete Nance is. Also, you know, there will be times where he can play the three for you, and you will you are able to rest Leaky Black a little bit more. Which, by the way, is something that we probably have to keep an eye on here too. I know that the focus right now is on Armando, and Leaky came back into the game. Leaky rolled that ankle pretty badly. There's a reason that it had to be taped up as heavily as it is. So we got to keep an eye on that too. So yeah, you could be looking at a scenario where, I mean, especially here over the next, you know, game or two, depending on what Armando, Armando's status is, you could be looking at a scenario where Puff Johnson is going to have to start regardless. But I think even when he comes back, especially if Puff Johnson can continue to thrive while he's out, you got to start him. Yeah, and I think it's something that, you know, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully it, it at least gets looked at and addressed because I, I do feel like he's definitely earned earned the right to uh, to, to to be under to, to be considered a starter. I think I think his teammates just respond to him on the floor, and I think he he's going to help Carolina more defensively than offensively and really help be the rebounding team this team needs to be. Well. With that, guys, it is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. But before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to visit our website, HeelToughBlog.com, where we'll have you covered for the Alabama loss. And everything Portland this weekend is available on the website. That's HeelToughBlog.com. We'll be getting you ready for Indiana and the ACC Big Ten Challenge on Wednesday. As for the football side of things, Carolina did lose on Friday night to NC State in the regular season finale, and we'll have you covered with that with a recap. There will be a stock report and a trench report posted, 
And then, Anthony, we'll be getting you ready for Saturday's ACC title game, which has lost some steam out of it with Carolina's back-to-back losses and Clemson losing on Saturday night or on Saturday afternoon. But we will be getting you ready for that. All that great football and basketball coverage on HeelToughBlog.com. And as for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. We're on every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast where we will pop up. We encourage you guys to rate and review the podcast. But most importantly, we want you guys to hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the show. Um, like, Like during this weekend with the Phil Knight Invitational Tournament, we were here for every game with previews and recaps. And you can expect that same type of content um, when Carolina gets into the ACC tournament, the NCAA tournament, et cetera, so on and so forth. So hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any additions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, that is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. It just doesn't get any sweeter than that!